holy God, gracious God, fill us with your word this morning. Work in us greater faith, trusting your promises that have been throughout the generations. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Advent is a time of recalling the promises of God throughout the generations. And that's what we've been doing. We've been in the Old Testament seeing God's steadfast love throughout the generations. And last week we were in Micah. And in Micah we saw the promise of our Savior of being in His house in His presence. And this week we're going to spend some more time in Micah. Now to refresh your memory because, you know, it's not a well, he's not as well known as the other prophets. Micah's ministry was about 2,700 years ago, 700 B.C. in that area, and he was a contemporary of Isaiah. So Isaiah and Micah prophesied at the same time. Now, during Micah's ministry, the northern tribe of Israel was taken captured. Uh, Judah almost fell as well. You see, during that time, both Micah and Isaiah talked so much about the greed of Israel, about rejecting God's word, which is the same thing as rejecting his will, of that there is moral corruption, that there is decay, that there is listening and leading of false teachers. And last week we also saw that even though it was 2,700 years ago, pretty similar in many respects to today, isn't it? Greed, moral corruption, rejection of God's word, God's will, false teachers galore. So I thought it was appropriate to actually take something from Isaiah because it was so pertinent then and it's pertinent to today. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. When people reject God's word, God's promises, his will, they go astray. Like in the book of Judges, it says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Now, if you, who has worked on a farm here? I'm just curious. Who's, anybody worked? Yeah, it's not as big farming. Some, okay, not as big farming country here. But, you know, when you're, you're on the farm and the gates are left open, the animals wander, don't they? They just wander. Now, um, my previous church was in rural Minnesota, Uppsala, 425 population. The parsonage there was right in the middle of all of these fields, which wasn't bad except when they spread manure on those days. Man, that was like a shut the door, stay inside day. But anyway, one morning, right? One morning I'm there, and right by the windows come all of these cows. And, the, and they end up just walking down the middle of the road, you know. And so people start calling each other because somebody has to come and get them. There needs to be somebody who gets the sheep or the cattle or whatever. Same thing with sheep. When sheep stray, they need to be brought in. Now, when we think of sheep... We think of these, the Serta commercial, right? The white fluffy sheep. That's what we have in our mind. But I worked on sheep farms. 
There's the what we have in our what we imagine and the reality. The reality is that sheep are dirty, dumb, stinky animals. I mean, if you've ever worked on a sheep farm, you don't forget the smell of sheep. And I did work on sheep farms, so I know firsthand what that's like. As a matter of fact, my mom would occasionally make lamb and beans, green beans growing up, you know. And sometimes we would have mutton. And that smell was just, I just didn't want to eat it. Heidi will attest it was to only maybe the last 10 years that I even tried lamb again because that smell was so bad. So when I talk about all these sheep that have gone astray, it's not these white fluffy sheep. It is sin-stained, stinky sheep that have gone astray, everyone to their own way. And when you get sheep like that, you need a very special shepherd to take care of those sheep. And that's what Micah was prophesying about 2,700 years ago. It's very simple. From Bethlehem will come our shepherd. Now, this title here, when I was working through, it actually encapsulates what we're going to be covering here, but it's deceptively simple. I mean, when you start to take a look at it, there's a depth and breadth that is just grand in nature. And so we're going to take a look at, from Bethlehem will come our shepherd, but it is far-reaching in scope. So we're going to be going from Old Testament to New Testament, back and forth, because that is the grandeur of what we're covering today. So let's start first with Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So Bethlehem had a very rich history before the time of Jesus. The first mention of of Bethlehem is actually in Genesis chapter 35, verse 19. It was known as Ephrath. It became known as the town of Bethlehem Judah or Bethlehem Ephrathah to distinguish it from another town called Bethlehem. Just like when I came to Arizona, when we came to Arizona, I found out there's a Miami, Arizona. Who knew, right? I only knew of one Miami. So now you have to say Miami, Arizona, which is very different from Miami, Florida. Okay, so in Bethlehem, Jacob's wife, uh, Jacob's wife Rachel was buried there. So there's part of the history. We also know from our study that we did in Ruth that Ruth and Boaz were from Bethlehem. And Ruth and Boaz had a son. Do you remember the son's name? Jesse. And Jesse had a son, and his name was David, who we know as King David. So King David himself came from Bethlehem. This is important because there's a prophecy that from David will come this kingdom and a king who will reign forever and ever. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, we read this last week, actually, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of 
Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. You have to remember, in Israel, King David's glory days were long gone. It was 300 years later, actually, by the time of Mike and Isaiah. So that had been long past. And Israel, because of the moral decay, because of everything else that was happening right now, there's talk of it being like a great forest where all the trees had just been felled. And where there was once wonderful growth, there was now death and decay. That's the situation. And in the midst of this death and decay, Isaiah, and then also you're going to find from in Micah, give a promise of new life. See, I don't know if you've ever seen a forest that has just been knocked down. I mean, do you ever see uh, Mount St. Helena, Helen, uh, when it was just all knocked down flat? It looked like no life would ever come back. But there's a lot of life there now, much faster than people ever imagined. It's the same thing with moral decay. Where there's the judgment of the Lord, it looks like there will be nothing left. But what's the old saying? Where, there, where there's green, there's life. Is that the old saying? Where there's green, green wood, there's life. Well, where there is the word of the Lord, the promise of God, there's life. You need to hold on to that one. When God gives a promise of life, you hold on to his word even when the circumstances, the appearances, don't seem to match up. Look, for the, here's the thing. Most of us, we judge by appearances. We take a look at the political landscape right now. We take a look at everything else, and we think there's no way that anything good can come out of this. Same thing with King David. David was the youngest He was this youngest, inexperienced shepherd out in the field. And people wanted to judge him by appearance. But what does it say? It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, but looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So this is about looking to David, not the appearance, not looking for some grand king who is of great stature, but of the heart. We talked about that a couple weeks ago too. So we trust God in his word. And ultimately, we must let God's word and his promises guide us, not the outward appearance. Look, by the time of Jesus' day, by the time of Jesus' day, Bethlehem was this very small village. I mean, really, it could have been like my old church back in Uppsala, Minnesota, population 425. Could have been about that small. And there really wasn't much to it at all. There was nothing grand about it. You can even really make up stories about it because it was so ordinary. That's why Micah says, Bethlehem, you who are too little. We're going to sing later on, O little town of Bethlehem, right? But it's you, O Bethlehem, you who seem inconsequential, 
You who seem that there could be nothing grand coming from you. You who are worth nothing at all. From you is going to come a savior? That would be like saying, the savior of the world is coming from Miami, Arizona. You'd be like, Miami? Oh, you got to be kidding. Got to come from somewhere else, right? But as it says here, we must let God's word and his promises guide us, not the outward appearance. And I know, you know, from being a pastor, from talking with you, there's a lot of circumstances that you're dealing with right now. Not only COVID, disease, cancer, broken relationships, all of that. And from the outward sign, it looks like nothing can be restored. But with God, all things are possible. And so we trust him and his word and his timing throughout all of this. This is the promise that Mike is making when it seems to be absurd that from Bethlehem will come our Savior. But it isn't just any particular Savior. It says, this one, this was one whom coming, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, King David, remember, 300 years past, so that was pretty ancient days. But the prophecy being fulfilled here is of someone who is even ancient than that. And who is ancient and enduring? None other than God. As a matter of fact, it says in Daniel, the ancient of days, talking about God the Father. And so from the ancient of days, the one who is eternal comes one who is eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. To the Jews, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. I am self-existent. I have no beginning, no end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And this is how we are to understand the prophecy of one who is coming from ancient days. And so, so much was the prophecy about Bethlehem pointing to the Savior that's referred to several times in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 2, they actually quote Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Micah's messianic prophecy was so well known by the Jewish leaders of the day that what did King Herod do? He had all of the boys two years and younger slaughtered in Bethlehem to try to kill any chance of a Messiah, a ruler coming from that town. Now, we often want to make Christmas just this nostalgic thing, right? The Hallmark story and all of that. But it's not, is it? Real life really isn't like that. And it wasn't like that in Micah's day. There was a lot of pain and suffering, and especially when people did not follow God's word, God moved his hand off that nation and let them be captured and let suffering happen. 
so that ultimately they would turn to him. Verse 3 says, Therefore he shall give them up until that time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. From Bethlehem would come a shepherd who would then bring the sheep back to him. Back to the shepherd. The sheep that have been scattered and have gone their own way. So let's talk about this shepherd. Verse 4 and 5. And he shall stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. There's four things we find out about the shepherd here. He is, he is in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord. He shall be great, and he shall be their peace. We're going to take a look at three of those. We're going to first start with the strength of the Lord. The strength of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, actually, they wrote a whole book about the strength of the Lord. It's called the Bible. So you could spend all the time talking about the strength of the Lord here and the Bible. But we're going to narrow it down just a little bit. We're going to talk about three things regarding what the strength of the Lord means. The first thing we're going to find is that the strength of the Lord is found in creation. As we've been studying in Genesis, in the beginning, there was nothing. And God, by his very word, spoke everything into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was. This is the power, the strength of the Lord in creation. Now, does the sun have that strength? Indeed, he does. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I love this next part. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's Christ Jesus holding up the universe by his word. This is the strength of the Lord. The strength of the Lord is found in redemption. So, redemption is again one of those themes that goes all the way throughout Scripture. We find God the Redeemer back when he redeemed the people out of slavery of Egypt. It says this in Exodus chapter 6, Moreover, I heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of justice, of judgment. God has been the redeemer throughout history. And in Christ Jesus, the good shepherd, what did the good shepherd do? He laid down his life, didn't he? So that you and I would be redeemed. The shepherd at that time became the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. This is 
the Redeemer Lord. This is who Micah is talking about. But it also says that he will come. Uh, I, I, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider the strength of the Lord is also found in his steadfast love. Okay? Let me explain this. What kind of strength is needed to love someone who despises you again and again? And then when something bad happens, comes to you and asks you for your help and then despises you again and again. That would have to be a really strong love a steadfast love to be able to continue love when people mock you and spit at you. See, as a pastor, we get to see all sorts of things in life. And broken relationships are part of it. And how do you love somebody who continually does things that either harm them, harm you, our mothers. I mean, really? Really? There comes a point, doesn't it, where you say, I don't have any more. I, I, I just can't. I don't know how to love this person anymore. What kind of strength is that then to continue to love? See, we thank God that he has that strength, that steadfast love throughout the generations. I would encourage you to go to Micah chapter 7. It says this, starting with verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's the depth of God's steadfast love. And if that isn't strength, I don't know what is. In Romans chapter 8, verse, chapter 8, verse 38, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is our Savior who comes from Bethlehem. The strength of the Lord. He also has the majesty of his name. Now God's name is spewed about in profane manners. As a matter of fact, the name of Jesus is used as a curse word probably more than any other name throughout history, throughout the world. And yet, God says his name is holy. And he will guard his name. He is jealous of his name. As a matter of fact, in a little while, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does it mean to hallow his name? To hallow his name is to acknowledge him as holy, 
We've talked about this in Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But Ezekiel chapter 36, should be 36 on there. But I have concern for my holy name, which is the house of Israel, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. To say, hallowed be your name, is to say that God's name is a direct reflection of his nature. His name is Yahweh which means I am. He is the self-existent eternal one. He is known as the Lord of salvation, God Almighty, God of the covenant, most high God, exalted one, the eternal God, the holy God of Israel, the Lord will provide, and Yahweh Shalom, the Lord, is our peace. And it is for his name's sake that he leads you in the paths of righteousness, Go back and read the 23rd Psalm. For his name's sake, he leads you in the paths of righteousness. And now from Bethlehem comes this shepherd. And this shepherd is going to have a name. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. His name is Jesus. And do you know what Jesus means? Yahweh saves. That's who comes from Bethlehem. Matthew chapter 1, she will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the shepherd who comes from Bethlehem. This is the shepherd who is our peace. You know, last week we spoke about peace. And here again, we come back to it because it is one of those themes throughout Scripture that the Lord is our peace. You see, and I've talked about this a little bit throughout already, you and I are made for relationships. It's that way from the beginning, isn't it? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in perfect unity with each other. Folks who are married, there were no arguments. That's a miracle, right? Just checking your pulse on that. But in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, there was complete unity with one another. And they complemented each other. And there was complete unity with God himself. We talk about walking in the garden, right? Just being with God. And then, of course, there was the fall. And then when there was complete unity and love, there was disunity, there was shame, there was embarrassment, there was separation. Where before there was joy, sadness, now even anger, and ultimately death creeps in. You and I were made for that peace originally and for that relationship originally. And Christ Jesus came to be our peace. We must never, ever forget that. Listen to what it says. 
Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near. In Christ Jesus and him alone, the great shepherd of the sheep, you will find the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the peace that is steadfast and sure. Because the truth is, in our relationships that we have here, they can ebb and flow. And they can be wonderful and they can be awful. But in Christ Jesus, there's a steadfast love and a steadfast peace throughout the generations. So you come and find the shepherd. You come and receive his peace. As a matter of fact, that's what the angels sang about. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. From Bethlehem will come our shepherd. So simple, but so profound in the depth and breadth of it. So for you, as we approach the celebration of his birth, first of all, just thank God. Just thank God for sending us our shepherd. All we like sheep, right, have gone astray. Thank God that he sent us a shepherd to bring us back, to bring those who are scattered back. Praise Jesus for his strength. Hallow his name and rejoice in his peace. And everyone says, Amen.